0: Hello, welcome back. This is Father John Arnold and this is Oro Valley Catholic. Today, we're gonna talk about the nature of God and the nature of Christ. You know, when you listen to the Village Atheist, it's really not Christianity they talk about. When they talk about God, often enough you listen closely, they're really talking about Greek, Roman, and Middle Eastern conceptions of divinity, which were all rejected by Christianity. So it's an interesting story, and uh, it's an important way of understanding creation in God, this week in Oro Valley Catholic. Let me give you a shorthand of the problem that atheists make for themselves when they do not uh, criticize the Christian conception of God. If you listen to an atheist describe how Christians believe in God and that God exists in time and space, there is a before and now and a future for that God. It's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not the Trinity. It is true at Christmas. God enters into time and space. That's called the incarnation, but it's the eternal God that exists in the, the eternal now. And so... Here's Dr. Christopher Baglow, who is from Notre Dame University, he wrote a really good book called Creation, A Catholic's Guide to God and the Universe. And he is uh, remembering back in the 80s when he was young, younger, I guess, and he read Douglas Adams, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And he says it's the first time he started to have serious concerns about whether or not the Christian faith could be true. And so here's how Doug Adams, an atheist, describes, um, in a mocking sense, what he thinks is meant by God in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Um, this is a quote from The Hitchhiker's Guide. Many races believe that the universe was created by some sort of God, though the Jatravartid people, Aviltavodil six, believe that the entire universe was, in fact, sneezed out of a being, called the Great Green arkle Seizure. The Jatravartids, who live in perpetual fear of the time they call the coming of the Great White Handkerchief, are small blue creatures with more than 50 arms each, who are therefore unique in being the only race in history to have invented the aerosol deodorant before the wheel. End quote. doesn't take much imagination to see that that is a mockery of... Uh, a christian understanding of creation but what's wrong with that image of god well just think of it a god that has a sneeze's reality in existence a sneeze has a before the sneeze during the sneeze after the sneeze this is not the christian god it is true that the incarnation of god the second person of the trinity enters into time and space but time and space are not actually part of God. God creates time and space in the universe. It is not God itself. And so the understanding that something doesn't come from nothing and that there has to be some basis for all of reality to answer the question, why is there anything at all instead of nothing at all? And our answer for that is God. God is eternal. We believe through divine revelation that we know something about the nature of this Trinitarian God. We know something about the nature of God the Son. And so to understand why Christianity is really just a conscious rejection of this kind of view of divinity that Douglas Adams puts forward, we have to do two thir- things. First. Let's take a look at what the mythic gods look like. And then second, let's talk about the Feast of Mary, Mother of God in the Epiphany. Let's turn there now. What was the mythic world like? Well, we know a lot about the mythic world from Hesiod's Theogony. That's about the fifth or the fourth century BC. And it's a Greek work or Ovid's Metamorphosis, which is from late first century B.C. BC. And both of them talk about the the divine nature. And so this is a Greco-Roman understanding of mythology. The Uranian gods exist, uh, and the gods are Uranus, who is the sky. Gaia is the earth. Uranus basically reigns on Gaia. And that's where life comes from, and that life are called the Titans, and there are 12 Titans. Then one of the Titans, Cronus, which is time, uh, castrates Father Uranus, throws his uh, sperm sac, his testicles, uh, into the ocean, which exists, and out of that come the Olympic gods. And so there's three tiers of gods, the Uranian gods, which are kind of the creator gods, the Titans, who are this intermediate uh, set of gods, which in the Old Testament are called the Nephilim, and then there are the gods that are the Olympian gods, like Zeus and Aphrodite and Hera, which I think Western uh, people who read or have studied classics in the West are most familiar with. But think of the way that time and space work there and how the story is being told. That's why. When you look at Genesis, and it has those kinds of elements to it, it's really a primitive form of of storytelling. But that what Genesis does differently from the mythic telling of creation is remember there's no male or female principle um, in in Genesis. God creates the human person, male and female, he creates them. Um, And he does it simply by his word. He doesn't rain on the earth. He, his sperm sac doesn't get thrown into the ocean. In fact, his son, unlike Cronus, who turns on Uranus, his son loves him. His son does the father's will. It's not simply that the Judeo-Christian God is a completely different moral reality from the from the Uranians, the Uranian gods, the Titans and the Olympian gods. It's also a difference in how they act. They create ex nihilo. God the Father creates everything through wisdom, which is why John's Gospel at Christmas time starts out, in the beginning was the Word, because Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the light, the rationale, spoken into the, into the world, and it's the rationale of a, of a son's love for the Father and father always exists, but to be father, son has to always exist, and spirit is that love shared between father and son. This is the Christian notion of God. It's not mathematics, but it's also a long ways from the myth that I just described to you. You know, the other mythic background that has informed the scriptures is the stories of creation from the Babylonians, and that involves a god, of male, Marduk, and a female god, a dragon, aren't they always, uh, who Marduk has to kill, then tears in half and from her body, he creates the sky and he creates the earth. And then he calls his followers to bring all of the rebel gods that followed Tiamat to him. And one by one he slays them and he squeezes their blood out into this newly created earth. And from that he forms a savage to serve him and that savage is the human person. And so that myth goes a long ways to explaining why human beings are so violent, uh, why men and women clash, why men have to dominate women. And this and this whole understanding of the clash between male and female does so much to explain uh, how it is that domination of women by men was legitimized in the ancient world and how deeply uh, written it is into human reality. But Christianity is not like that either. This God that creates everything by just his word creates man and woman in this perfect garden and tells them that the one boundary on them is they cannot eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else is for their benefit. Every seed-bearing plant, every seed-bearing fruit. Of course, you know how that story ends. But to say that these stories, none of them are history in the way that Lee's advance on the third day of Gettysburg in 1863, July 3rd, 1863 is history, that the Uranian gods, the Titans, the Olympic gods, uh, Marduk and Tiamat, these are not historical realities. That history comes into being, time and space come into being as a result of creation. This is Christian reality. But time and space have no place in God. God exists in the eternal now. And so, wow, Christianity was a huge slapdown of the mythic world. How did we get to this place where we look at the nature of God as being Trinitarian, or we think of the two natures of Christ is how God interacts with the world and lifts us up through the sacraments. Let's turn to the readings for um, this weekend for the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, and the Feast of the Epiphany. And so now you've been filled with the village atheist perspective on um, uh, what he thinks Christianity is, how it's much more like the mythic world now let's take a moment and think about the readings for this weekend and how different the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is in the scriptures than the mythic world I described for you or the God described in the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. So, Mary, Mother of God, that's the feast of, 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 that we have on New Year's Day And it used to be called the circumcision of of Christ because it's how Jesus becomes part of the people of Israel. Salvation comes from the Jews. So already in the story that we have as Christians, God has been preparing us from the beginning for his union with us. It's not that there's this dominant male out there gonna dominate a female and force her to have creation it's god the bridegroom wooing the bride so christ mary the church all of these understandings are more like poetry than they are like mathematics um, or what i would say is um, western conceptions of, of, of of history. Instead, these are stories about what it means to be a human being and to have God come looking for us. So, in the very first reading on the Feast of Mary, Mother of God, from Numbers chapter 6, God tells his priests how to bless his people. And here's what it says. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons and tell them, This is how you shall bless the Israelites. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you kindly and give you peace. So shall they invoke my name upon the Israelites, and I will bless them. This is the God who is love, the God that gives his son as a gift. And so um, since the feast is about this woman who through whom the bridegroom, the savior of the world, will enter, Remember that the story of Genesis about Adam and Eve is about how temptation enters the world through this woman. In God's divine justice, salvation enters uh, through the woman. And so just think about this as this slapdown of this male principle versus the female principle that is part of uh, Gnosticism and ancient mythology that men and women are constantly at war. If you look at the book of Genesis, it says that the troubles between men and women are really just the product of the sin of that first couple. And Jesus says, this is not the way it was supposed to be. So Paul in his letter to the Galatians remembers that Jesus was born of a woman. And that's his reference to the virgin birth and that we're meant to be Adopted sons. And this is the earliest mention of what I talked about previously about how it is that we become the beloved son at the foot of the cross. This goes back early, early into Christianity into an understanding of how God makes us his children. We call it divine filiation, that is, divine sonship. And so All of these phrases, whether it's Trinity or the Incarnation, the hypostatic union, divine filiation, these are these hermeneutics, these these theological principles that all Catholics should carry into the reading of scriptures because it keeps reminding us of God's loving and creative intent. And so that the gospel is about Mary and and the shepherds and the shepherds have heard this divine message uh, from the angels about a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Remember, we say this at Sunday Mass or on feast days, glory to God in the highest, peace to his people on earth. When you and I sing as members of God's holy people, we're singing along with the angels. And if you would think of that as this supernatural participation in this divine dance of song um, where the reality of God's relationship with his people is sung into being, it is so contrary to the mythic world. And so we could have that story or we'd have the story of Mary and Joseph taking the baby Jesus up to the temple where he's to be circumcised. And then the prophets talk about how the glory of God has re- re- returned to the temple, In all of these understandings of Jesus's childhood. Saint in Irenaeus would, would argue that salvation came at the incarnation when God shared his divine purpose, completed in the crucifixion and the resurrection. But all of Jesus from his conception through his ascension, this is all the saving act of God. And what do we get from the woman? We get someone who ponders these things in her heart. Because if we want to be her sons, men and women, listen, if we want to be her sons, it's time to ponder and to think about what God is bringing to pass in each of our lives. And so Mary in the gospel, she's the mother of Jesus. She's the mother of the Lord in in Luke. But mother of God does not mean that Mary is greater than God. She's only a human being, but created without sin. And when we are recreated, in baptism, aren't we created, recreated without sin? Though we still struggle with its temporal effects on us. And Mary is not the mother of the Trinity. Mary is the mother of the second person of the Trinity, the Eternal Son. And in the Eternal Son, is her son according to the flesh. So whatever is God in Jesus is from God. Whatever is human in Jesus is from Mary. It's so, it's beautiful if you just think about it. Where Eve did not listen to God, Mary's cooperation with God is this beginning of your and my divine life. It's why we love her, why we honor her in our homes, Please have a statue, and image, pray the rosary, participate in Marian devotions so that your heart can be conformed to the heart of Mary. Orthodox belief about God and about Christ is as follows. As to the nature of God, one God, three divine persons. We call this the Trinity. As to the nature of Christ, it's... Christ has two natures, human and divine, and what's called the hypostatic union, and that truly God enters into death. God deifies human beings because there is a union between the human person and God that's made present in the sacraments of baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist. So why is this important? In the first six centuries, especially starting in the fourth century, Two heresies emerge, one's called Arianism, the other's called Nestorianism. And both of them in one way or the other are taking on the mythic culture and are influenced by the mythic culture that I discussed earlier on the podcast, Arianism. Bishop Arius who lived in the fourth century was concerned with preserving monotheism. The mythic world has multiple gods and so to reaffirm monotheism, Bishop Arius proposed that uh, we see God as eternal, God the Father eternal, but God the Son and God the Holy Spirit both share in divinity, but they do not share in eternity. And so this became a knockdown dragout fight at the Council of Nicaea, which gave us the Nicene Council. But Arianism preserved itself for several centuries afterwards because of the concern of monotheism, that there could only be one God. And it confused theology with mathematics as the easiest way to understand it. But it's the reason why when we talk about Jesus in the Nicene Creed, we say God from God, light from light, true God from true God. The importance of this is it's more than a theological Uh, argument. It's about how we're saved. Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 6, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And so he's referring to divine life, and that when the Eucharist, bread and wine, become part of John Arnold, body and soul, spiritual and physical food for the body, then my whole person is being deified. And this is the importance of sacraments, baptism confirmation and eucharist and so lex horrendi lex credendi the law of believing is the law of faith and so the understanding that only god can save us god the father doesn't send a demigod like hercules was a demigod Uh, jesus is not a demigod jesus is the presence of the one god living and true and whatever makes God the Father God makes you can say the same of Jesus and the same of the Holy Spirit. That's how sharing our human nature, God deifies us and gives us a share as adopted sons in his glorious divine nature. The other heresy is Nestorianism. If Arianism, Bishop Arius was about the nature of God um, as like one God, Father, versus the Trinity, which is the Orthodox belief. Nestorianism was a concern about the nature of Christ. How could Jesus Christ be true God and true man? Because God can't die if God is eternal. This is all the challenges theologically that um, our Christian faith really needed some help working through. So for Nestorius is Jesus had a divine nature, Jesus had a human nature. Everything that Jesus went through in this life was his human nature. So on the cross, his human nature died, but the divine nature could not die. In short, God did not actually die for us. God did not share in death for, with us. This is not orthodoxy, friends. And so the church's response was to develop the theology which is called the hypostatic union, that there is this union between the divine and the human nature of Christ, and that in some analogous way, you and I will share in that union um, in, in our Christian life, starting now where we share in the divine life. And again, it comes down to what you understand the sacraments to be. Are the sacraments like what the Baptists say, which are they just merely an ordinance, a symbol, or do they cause what they purport to affect? Does the baptism make you part of God and bring you into the body of Christ? Does confirmation share the, the, the spirit of God with you so you participate in the Holy Spirit? Is Eucharist, are you lifted up into the perichoresis, the divine dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the real presence? These are the things at stake. And so compromising with the world, this is what was at the heart of the first 1,000 years of Christianity. How is it that the Judeo-Christian understanding of God is different from the Olympian gods, the Titans, and the Iranian gods, which I discussed in the first part of the podcast? How are they different from Marduk and Tiamat? Well, the difference is is God is nothing in creation. He has neither time nor space. God is eternal. Time, space, all of creation is something God made. And for human beings, he shares his divine nature with us. This is the good news that is proclaimed in Mary, the mother of God. This is the good news that the epiphany remembers that is taken out to the world. So your village atheists who don't understand Christianity but want to treat it like it's ancient paganism. Friends, now you've learned something. Take your atheist friends to school. God bless you in the new year. This has been Father John, and this has been Oro Valley Catholic.